Welcome to Jaws of Justice Radio on 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. It's Monday morning. My name is Terry. Jaws of Justice strives to investigate how to achieve justice in America, and this includes issues of economic injustice, political injustice, and the criminal justice system. We want to put a human face on those caught in the grasp of injustice in an unjust system. We strive to dispel the misconceptions created by the news and entertainment industry, politicians, and our educational system. We hope you will listen. Today, host Bev Livingston opens our hour speaking with her guest, Karen Sardis, also known as Coach Cookie by her clients. She has a degree in criminal law and psychology. Karen is the creator of Rising Higher Ministries, which offers individual and or group counseling sessions that are tailored to address the diverse needs in the community when it comes to trauma or loss. Coach Cookie uses her knowledge from her psychology background to assist clients to gain insights to healing and resilience. During the second half of our show, host Latara Smith speaks with her guest, Michelle Smith, who is co-director of Missourians for Alternatives to the Death Penalty. They'll talk about the upcoming Missouri Day of Empathy 2024. This event will be Wednesday, March 6th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the Rotunda in the Missouri State Capitol in Jefferson City, Missouri. On Jaws of Justice, we examine how to find justice in our society. Justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are. Now, our show. Good morning, Coach Cookie, better known as Karen Sardis or vice versa. We welcome you to our show today. We're going to talk about mental health, self-love, and self-care. And I'd like to begin by asking you to just let our audience know what we mean by mental health issues. And let's kind of break it down from the situational, minor, and major depression stages. Hey, thank you so much for having me today on the show. Really appreciate it. Um, So when we're thinking and when we're talking about mental health, uh, we're basically just talking about the emotional and and the, the psychological and social well-being and how it affects the how it affects us and our thinking and uh, how we feel how we act um, it also uh, determines how we handle the stress related to others and uh, cho- healthy choices that we need to make um, a lot of times when we're dealing with mental health issues um, some of the negative impact from that could be from uh, it could be from our childhood. It can be from our youth, from experiences that we have, such as uh, abuse or neglect. Um, that could come in various stages. In our adulthood, it could be caused by uh, traumatic life events or ongoing stress that can increase the risk of mental illness issues, such as um social isolation or uh, domestic violence. Uh, Sometimes that uh, those traumatic life experiences or through relationships or breakdown in relationships 
financial or work problems can impact our mental health. So I I know that there could be various stages and people have different things that they're going through with different uh, trauma experiences in their lives. But I know that when I went through my divorce with the kid's father, I had to deal with a series of serious events that caused me to have a mental breakdown or what some may call a mental health crisis. And with that, it affected my thought process. Um, When I went through this crisis, I wasn't able to get up to take care of my children. I couldn't take care of myself. I didn't want to work. I struggled with just daily activities that needed to be done. It was like I did nothing uh, but you know, I, I had became a zombie. I didn't want to do um, anything that had to do with daily activities. And at the time, my children were really young. They were like five and seven. So for about two months, they had to figure out what to take care of, what they had to be done to take care of themselves. Um, when it came to their daily lives. So I remember that one day my son, he came to me and he said, I was laying in the bed. He was about five years old. He came to me and he said that, uh, Mom, going to be okay. You're going to get better. And I remember tears rolling down my face. And um, I remember thinking to myself, oh, my God, I have children to take care of. I got to get out of bed and make uh, a life for my children and do what I need to do for my children. And so... That depression turned into anger. It turned into hurt, which was expressed in, uh, uh, you know, uh, a misbehaved behavior, exotic manner. I started having health problems that I had never experienced before, such as high blood pressure and heart problems. And so I know that there are different stages of mental health. And people go through various things on different levels, but mental health is real. And I know there are a lot of people in our communities who have similar stories. And um, if you don't get the necessary help that you need, it can increase the likelihood of developing into a mental illness. Um, You also have your genetic environment and social factors can influence whether someone becomes mentally ill. Um, environmental factors such as head injuries, poor nutrition, uh, exposure to toxins such as tobacco smoke can also increase the likelihood of developing a mental illness. Um, We have to remember that when we're dealing with people with uh, individuals with mental illness, uh, like I said, that comes in different phases. You know, you have your mental health crisis that can, you know, develop into mental illness. Then you have your um, environmental factors, uh, people be eventually become diagnosed with schizophrenia or bipolar because of those environmental factors. Um, I know that my daughter, she's now 36, and she left to go away to, away to college. And while in school, we believe that uh, that social, some of those social factors played a part in her becoming diagnosed with schizophrenia. Um, in her early 20s. And so, um, yeah, these are some of the 
the the factors that we have that um, that play into uh, developing mental illnesses. Okay. As far as situations are concerned and minor depression that kicks in when we're not attending to our our issues and the things that you just mentioned, what does that manifest into when people are trying to use self-care or maybe in denial that they need to get professional help? Um, I, I want us to lead into what may be some of the mental health issues with teens in our community. Can it be genetic? Can it be something that's passed on in, in bloodlines? Or is it from the peer pressures and the situational conditions that don't allow people to be able to handle them in a proactive way. Can you address how our violence in our world right now is affected by depression? Yes. Um, you know, the, the, the violence that we're experiencing right now is affected by uh, depression because, you know, a lot of times when you're dealing with your teenagers uh, in the community. A lot of times they're not in a space where we are doing what we should be doing as a community and communicating with them. So we don't have, you know, everybody doesn't really understand what it entails in order to make sure that the teenagers are, you know, taken care of in a way where, they're not going to be and have these mental issues. Uh, it, it's in the school system. Um, it's in our communities. Uh, and they're not really communicating as to what can be done to assist these uh, the teenagers in our community. And a lot of times we have they have the community has to be educated on what it is that needs to be done to make sure. Um, we get we address the teenagers in the community so that we know that a lot of the violence and stuff that's occurring doesn't occur because you know based on mental um not having the mental not having you know mental problems that manifested from us not being able to come together and communicate as a community you know um a lot of times these kids are not, it starts usually when they're really young. It starts really before the teenage years. It starts really when they're young. Um, a lot of times that we just don't have the communication like we used to. The kids are not being kids. Um, you know, social media has taken over. There's so many things that are factors as to why we are developing into mental illness that has started way before the teenage years and people are missing it. They're not seeing it and they're missing it because um, we don't communicate anymore. There's not a sense of communication. And until they do that, it's not going to, it's not going to get any better. Well, indeed, that is one of the missing pieces is communication. And let's take it back to the home and the family. When a family is recognizing some dysfunctional behavior or say 
a, a mother sees or father sees peer pressure controlling their child or they don't or the parent doesn't have the control to take the phone from your school age kids at night. Let them check in the phone at bedtime so they can get quality sleep so they can be ready for the next day. What would you recommend families do? Maybe some families have an only child and that's that child's extended family on social media or whoever they're chatting with. And in put, putting in some rules and some safeguards, how can parents address in the home changes to help a healthier mental health uh, condition for their children and, and family and extended family? How would you address that? Sure. There, let me, let me correct this and say also there's, not anything wrong with really being on social media. But the thing is, is that there just needs to be where it's limited. Uh, get, to, get, to know which, get to know your child. Get to know who they are. What are they doing? What are they doing in school? What are they doing in their activities? You know, you've got to have a community of being, uh, of being where the child is safe, where they feel comfortable being with you and talking to you um, so that, um, they will, you know, not be so prone to be, do some, do things where they're violent in the community. Um, we have to be able to get back to basics where we are communicating with the kids. For example, um, you don't know a lot about what they're doing or what's going on. Become, become their counselor or their therapist for them, you know, and you all may need to do the same thing for each other. Um, have them write down and give details. What did you do? Why did you do that? Uh, you know, get to, get inside of your child to know what is going on. What are what are their needs? Are they jealous because of something? Are they uh, fearful of something? The the key is going to be to really get to know and build a relationship with your child, and. Um, you know, step and go from there. That's going to be the basics of it. Okay. While engaging in conversation and interacting more with your child, what's going on in their exterior as well as internally, is it appropriate for parents to have those passwords and ask your child for your Google password or whatever password? And is it appropriate for parents say children under 12 or whatever, to be able to visit their phone and kind of see what they're Googling and what they're doing? Or do you feel that young people are entitled to that safe place, that secret space, and don't have to give their passwords to parents? What do you think that rule should be like in a family? Now, um, parents, you're the parent. You're not their friend. You're not their buddy. You're the parent. And uh, if there is a password, you have the you you you're the one that knows the password. They don't know the password. This is, they're they're not grown. Uh, you you're the responsible one. You're the guardian. You're supposed to be the responsible one taking care of the child. Uh, no, you should be involved in knowing what exactly that child is doing. The, the the password you should know uh, 
who they're talking to, not to mean that you get involved in the conversation or anything like that, but we need to be a little bit more involved in what's going on with the kids. And no, I do not believe uh, a 12 year old has access to uh, a password or they, they keep their password a secret. That is just opening up the door for something to happen in a in a secret manner that you don't want to occur in with your child or in the household you you should be aware of what is at least what is going on i know that um i have grandchildren and i know that uh my son has has a has a block on it there's only certain things that they can do on that phone uh and a lot of times you have to be careful because the kids will ask for other uh, adults' phones because they want to do something on that phone that they shouldn't be doing. But you should at least, if you don't have a password, you should have a block to keep them from messaging or doing certain things on the phone that you don't want them to do. Okay. For the busy parents that don't have time or don't make time to do the policing of the phone, to really pay attention to the details of their child's life, how would you think a parent should approach that who has been maybe a little laid back and now they know they need to turn up on some of the attention to the details of their child's development and growth? Say we're talking about middle school and, and older. The kid has had this private um, privacy rule that they had parents abide by. And suddenly your parents want to invade your space, want to know who you're talking to, what's going on, because they've seen mental health signs of concern. How can a parent reach that middle ground so that, A, the child's not really resisting and not understanding that is in their best interest, what the parent is trying to do. And I know sometimes situationally speaking, they haven't had that kind of rapport with their with their children. And so there's a lot of resentment, a lot of rejection. How do parents and grandparents work with being rejected when we're just trying to be protective and, and helpful? How, how do you approach that with a kid who's very... Um, protective of their phone and their privacy? Again, uh, for the parent. <laughs> okay. Uh, Play the parent card. I Play mean, the parent's we're, card. We're, okay. We're the, we're, no, we're the parent. It, I yes, mean, it's, we are. It's, I'm not, yeah. It, uh, and, and that's what I would tell, that's what I would tell my parents. That's what I would let them know. You, mm -hmm. where are your boundaries at? Where are your boundaries okay with what, okay. what you're doing with your kids. Okay, so then you open that door where now you want to be the parent. Now you want to be concerned about who and what they're talking to and about. And the child is putting up that wall that says, no mom, dad, granny, whoever, you cannot enter my private space. And this becomes a big deal. And then it turns into some kind of, depression that exceeds just a situation and then it becomes a real major problem where a life coach like yourself or someone has to come in and intervene what do you do in those cases um what i what i actually really truly really do in those cases is that i have 
parents develop that relationship with their child. It's mm-hmm. it's, it's all going to come down to you don't have a relationship with your child. Your 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 child is in charge. They're running it. You need to have a relationship with your child where they can respect who you are as an adult. Um, and a lot of times that's work that they have to put in some work and they have to actually sit there and they have to develop a system where this child is sitting there and they're writing. You need to let me know. Why do you feel this way? You need to let, they need to express their feelings and they need to learn how to express their feelings in a different way. And while, and while they're doing that and expressing that feeling, they don't have the phone. They don't have the phone until we can communicate about what your rules are. And then you guys sit there together and develop those rules. Okay, I see how you make sure you get the understanding how they feel. Don't leave out how they feel. That's However they feel, that's going to be important. Don't ignore that. But uh, it's something that has to be done together. And you say, I hear what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. I, I see that. And so we need to develop some some boundaries. We need to develop some rules on how this is going to look and how this is going to sound. And my recommendation well, until. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. So my recommendation until they can develop that, that uh, those rules and those regulations with the parent, then, you know, for a time period, they don't have the phone until they are able to uh, establish those rules with the parent. Gotcha. Okay. Now, now we're talking about some tools that might be more effective as you take away some of those privileges to get their attention. As we move into our last couple of minutes of sharing with our audience, any resources, hotlines, or anything that you are uh, recommending that we reach out to as we become more proactive and more engaged in changing the situations that we have in mental health in our families and environment, who do they call? How do they take the next step when it's more than the parent or grandparent can handle? Or working together, well, I, what's the combination? Um, really, actually, um, you can uh, get in contact with uh, Compass Health. Compass Health is a good organization that I have that works with uh, families with uh, various um, problems when it comes to getting together with families and uh, resources for that. Um, Also, um, you know, if any of the the family uh, or Family members are looking for assistance with uh, individuals with their children or anything that they're dealing with in their household. Of course, you do have, you know, Rising Higher Ministries, and we'd be happy to help them and assist them with whatever they're going through to combat, you know, the stigma of mental illness or um, whatever it is that they're going through. And how do they reach out to the... um places that you're recommending? Are there websites, a phone number? Um, do you have a contact that you would want to share in terms of your life coaching? Because you do private sessions and group sessions, correct? Right. I do private and group sessions. Um, my website is risinghigherlife.com. And uh, my email address is heycoachcookie 
at gmail.com. My business phone number is 816-642-3748. And, um, yeah, I have uh, a a list. I have uh, various resources that I have in a booklet form that I give to clients in, uh, in regards to various situations that they may be going through. Uh, okay, a lot of awesome. Times when I... mm-hmm. We're going to need to wrap up. So if you will just give once again that email address and phone number so that someone that wants to get on, on track and try to get more engaged can call and, and text or, or email, please. Yes, my um, website is Rising Higher, R-I-S-I-N-G-H-I-G-H-E-R, life, L-I-F-E, dot com. My email is heycoachcookie at gmail.com. And my phone number is, the business number is 816-642-3748. Thank you so much for joining us today, Coach Cookie, and may you have a wonderful 2024 and help families and our public get it together. Have a great quality day. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Support for KKFI brought to you by the Midwest Trust Center at Johnson County Community College. Now welcoming audiences for its 2023 season. Performances include blues, rock, jazz, classical, world music, comedy, and children's programming. See the full season and learn more at jccc.edu slash Midwest Trust Center. Hi, this is Maria Hall, co-host of Lawn Disorder. Thank you for joining us on Tuesday mornings, 9 a.m. here on KKFI 90.1 FM in beautiful Kansas City, Missouri. We're now moving to Monday, 7 p.m. as of January 2024. That's Monday, 7 p.m. Lawn Disorder will be now broadcasting Monday evening, 7 p.m. So keep it locked in right here to KKFI 90.1 FM. Did you know Kansas City passed a ban-the-box ordinance in 2018? Have you been asked about your felony conviction on an application for employment or rental housing? If so, we want to know by who. Please contact the re-entry subcommittee of KC360 at 816-231-0217 and let's help end this discrimination. This message is a public service of KKFI. Here's the calendar for the week of January 22nd. Legal Aid of Western Missouri can provide free civil legal services to low-income and vulnerable people who live in Jackson County, Missouri. If you're interested, please call 816-474-6750 to apply. For information about Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense meetings this week, you can go to momsdemandaction.org. Everyone's welcome, mothers and others. 
Please check the calendar at moresquare.org for events you can attend. You can get involved. A list of services, meals, and hotlines are available at lawrenceprogressivecalendar.blogspot.com. The list is updated daily. Thursday, January 25th, 5 to 6 p.m., Empower Missouri's Community Justice Coalition is having a virtual meeting. They're a multi-sector team of dedicated advocates who envision a future without mass incarceration. More info at empowermissouri.org. Thursday, January 25th, 7 p.m., the monthly membership meeting and webinar of the Greater Kansas City Women's Political Caucus is an online event which features an update on the signature collection campaign with Tori Schaefer of the ACLU. Saturday, January 27th, beginning at 5 p.m., program at 8.30 p.m., the Freedom Gala, sponsored by Rehope and Veronica's Voice, is at the Kansas City Marriott downtown, 200 West 12th, Kansas City, Missouri. The Freedom Gala is an event to raise funds to stop human trafficking. More information at Veronica's Voice. Saturday, January 27th, 7 p.m., Bayard Rustin, the man behind the dream, is at the Community Christian on the Plaza, 4601 Main Street, Kansas City, Missouri. Tickets are required. Items listed in this calendar can also be found on this episode's page at the KKFI website, kkfi.org, as well as on the Jaws of Justice Facebook page. Please take care of yourselves and others. It's icy this morning. Be careful while you're driving. Thanks for listening to Jaws of Justice. Let's return to the program. Good morning. This is Terry Wilkie. I should have said it's icy on the roads and the sidewalks. <clears throat> so, Latara, I see you are present. And here's your guest. Let me let, me let her in. Michelle Smith with Missouri Coalition for Justice, correct? Yeah, Missouri Justice Coalition. Yes. Yeah, thank is. you for that. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. All right. You're on. Right. Well, everyone, thank you for tuning in to KKFI 90.1 FM. I'm your host this morning, Latar Smith Carnes of the Casey Freedom Project, and I welcome each of you to our show today. I have the privilege and the honor this morning of interviewing Miss Michelle Smith, who is the founder and the director of the Missouri Justice Coalition. Miss Smith, are you there? Can you hear me? Yes, I am here this morning. Thank you for having me on. You can hear me well? Yes, I can. I can't see you, but I can most definitely hear you. Thank you for tuning in this morning. Um, I I, I want to make a correction uh, right here at the top of the interview that, yes, you are uh, associated and a a staff member of the Missouri for Alternatives Against the Death Penalty. But Missouri Justice Coalition is actually an organization that you founded and you are the director and your organization is the uh, organization who is doing the event for our Empathy Day this year in Missouri, correct? Yes, uh, thank you for that clarification. I am the co-director of Missourians to Abolish the Death Penalty, and that is work uh, that I'm very proud of, and we are 
you know, making um, great strides in getting the death penalty abolished as far as the law in Missouri. Um, yes. But um, in addition to that, I founded Missouri Justice Coalition approximately two years ago. And this organization's focus is on the issues of incarceration. So um, the prison conditions, um, the, the criminal legal system that so many people who are incarcerated deal with, um, dealing with the Missouri Department of Corrections, the administration and the staff. So Mo Justice is focused on the actual issues of incarceration in Missouri. Great, great, great. You know, I just appreciate you, all the work that you do. You are such a powerhouse there in the state of Missouri. And I don't know if Missouri realizes how much of a blessing uh, uh, they have to have you there. They are really blessed to have you uh, in Missouri and all of the hard work and advocacy that you do, you know, all the way around the board. Um, I want you to take this time to tell us about your the Missouri Day of Empathy for 2024. I believe it's your second event uh, for mm -hmm. the Day of Empathy. And uh, just let our listeners know more about it because many people don't even know what the Day of Empathy represents. What is it about? You know, how did it come mm -hmm. about? What are your plans? What do you, what, 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 what does your organization have planned this year uh, for this event? Well, again, thank you for that question, Latara. Um, so overall, I'll start with the big picture and, you know, um, um, come down to the specifics. Um, Day of Empathy is an event. It's actually a national event, and it was started, I believe, around seven years ago um, from an organization called Dream.org. Today it's called Dream.org, but back at that moment, it was called Cut 50. And Cut 50 is a national organization that was established to cut the rate of incarceration nationally by 50% over a certain amount of years, which means they do a lot of advocacy nationally um, around you know, criminal legal issues, um, policies, et cetera. But when they created the Day of Empathy to be a day in every state, right now it's in approximately 30 states, so to be a day in every state where organizers, activists, and community members can come together to push, urge, and um, you know, advocate for policies, procedures, um, et cetera, around incarceration. So the empathy in, in the day means we need to instill more empathy in how our people are treated inside um, the, the uh, re rehabilitation chances that people have, all of the things that are going to make people incarcerated come out to be better people. We need to make sure that that uh, aspect of empathy and compassion is in all of those areas as far as like the policies, procedures, you know, how our Department of Corrections and prisons are ran. So their empathy is that national day every single year um, that different organizers in different states are blessed to be able to do it here in Missouri, but that we put on a day where we center those issues of incarceration, the issues are of, of being impacted by the criminal legal system and, you know, say to our, not only our elected officials, but also our community overall, that we are here and that we want to make sure that um, our family members, because we all have loved ones, our family members, our loved ones who are impacted by the system, experience the empathy and compassion that they are supposed to, to make them better people. So that is what their empathy is overall. But again, I do the one in Missouri. And this is, like you said, is our second year. And what we do is we have a, a legislative advocacy day. 
So we go to our uh, state capitol, which is in Jefferson City, Missouri. This year, it'll be on March the 6th. And what we are going to do is meet with elected officials. Um, everyone who is coming, um, they're going to be matched with their own elected official, be it their uh, a representative or the state senator, and able to go to that person and have a conversation with them about these issues that we face and you know what we want to see happen. So there, we have uh, several legislative priorities that we're uh, advocating for. So people will be able to talk to their elected official about that legislative priority. Um, for instance, say um, there is a bill about oversight of DOC right now. There is a bill in the state Senate. And so if you wanna talk to your elected official about reasons why a Missouri DLC needs oversight and to ask them to either co-sponsor that bill or make sure that they vote positively for that bill when you know um, it's in their committee or when it's in the larger uh, Senate um, um, to, to be voted on. So make sure that that happens. Uh, we're also giving people a chance to talk to their electeds about their own issue. Say for instance, if you have a loved one incarcerated and say it's your son, you know, and he's been um, um, harmed for what, what, however, you know, reason, excessive time in solitary confinement, um, medical issues not being addressed, et cetera, you are, um, you know, you have that opportunity to speak with your own elected official about your own personal issue to either get them to support, you know, you and your family or to let them know these are the things that are going on, why we need oversight and why we need our elected officials to um, uh, hold DOC accountable. And so we'll have a day to for everyone there to speak with their elected officials. Um, we are going to also um, uh, hear several people speak, including elected officials and other organizers who most of them are impacted by the criminal legal system. And it's really a day to push the, the fact that we need empathy and compassion in how our loved ones are treated, you know, in the incarceration and also when they return home as well. That's another aspect. But that is what the Missouri uh, Debt Empathy will be. And again, I'm calling it our Legislative Advocacy Day. Last March, we got about 50 or 60 people that came down to Jeff City. We are hoping to have, you know, more than that this year. And I am also, um, um, you know, helping with transportation. We know that our capital is approximately two and a half hours from Kansas City. It's two hours from St. Louis. And it is, you know, a good distance away from everybody that's not in either Jeff City or Columbia, right? Everybody else has to travel at least an hour or two. So we are trying to make sure people get there either by providing gas cards. Um, I also will be renting like a van or a bus, depending on how many people come from different parts of the state. So we're trying to make it accessible for everybody and to get them there because we only can push what we need to happen, um, you know, with these issues of incarceration as a unified body. A lot of people do it, you know, individually, which is good. Call DOC, call your elected officials, et cetera. But until they see hundreds of us showing up together and pushing these issues, they're not going to take it as seriously as they need to. So people power matters. So that's really what that empathy is about, getting people to the Capitol, um, getting that people power together, making sure our electors know that we are in a unified force. Uh, we are we are in a coalition. We are pushing our issues and we are not going away until there are improvements in those conditions and accountability. And you know what? And everything you said, um... I hope everyone heard every single word because everything you said was so important and so valuable. And you know, um, a day like this, an event scheduled like this can literally be 
a life-changing event for those who are impacted by incarceration and the family members of those who are impacted by incarceration. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's a wonderful event. I'm sorry, were you getting Thank ready you. to say something? Yeah, I did want to add something. When you said life-changing, you, you reminded me of something, and I want to make sure that I you know, amplified this as well. And I had spoken to you about the triple-digit death uh, campaign hashtag. Um, which is, you know, life-changing because so many people's lives have been changed. Um, in our Department of Corrections, in the last five of, uh, of six uh, years, looking back, five of those years, we have had over 100 deaths in our prison system. That is unacceptable. Um, that is an egregious number. And so I created the triple digit death campaign to amplify the issue that people are dying in our prisons. Uh, we have actually 25% less people incarcerated than we did a decade ago, but we have approximately double the amount of people who are dying within our prisons every single year. So we really have to address those issues. We really have to say, hey, elected officials, media, community, right? These things are happening. There is obviously a problem in our prison system to where so many people are dying from either drug overdoses, violence, um, medical neglect, et cetera, that's happening in our prison. We need to amplify those issues. So another reason why we're going to do uh, the Advocacy Day and Day of Empathy is to bring that to our elected. So many people don't understand, right, that these things are happening. Um, a few weeks ago, actually January 3rd, we held a mass memorial service at the Capitol. And a lot of elected officials that came down to see what we were doing were asking what's going on, right? You know, what's happening? And when they saw the, 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 the obituary, when they saw the information that over 100 people die every year in Missouri prisons, they were surprised. So we got to keep amplifying that issue. And we will do that on... Um, their empathy as well. We're going to talk about the, the unnecessary you know, amount of debts that are happening every year and the fact that we need oversight and accountability towards that. Um, I also, lastly, uh, Latar, I wanted to say this too. I, I know that we are visual people, right? Things we see touch us and you know we really have to have that visualization so for us to really get into our spirit that you know something that's so horrible and egregious is going on and i i thought about how to do that so recently i i uh, created something um and it's called the grieving tree and i sometimes do play on words so i'm doing something called the grieving tree and i bought this little tree it's normally used for like holiday ornaments and and things of that nature we can like hang different, you know, ornaments off of it. But I bought this little tree um, and I have these little hearts with everyone who died in our prison's name ring on them. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to hang these little hearts on this tree um, and, 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 you know, put a little some lights on it. And we're going to display it because looking at something that has 134 names, of people that died in our prison, that's a powerful image. And we have to we have to sit with that and we have to accept that and understand that is not what prison is supposed to be. Our loved ones are supposed to be rehabilitated. Over 90% of people in prison have an outdate. Nobody goes there to die, right? So we have to understand that we need to address these issues, understand why so many people are dying in prison, hold DOC accountable and make sure that reforms and, and, and things that 
uh, will fix these issues, including accountability and some consequences, right? There's some things going on in prison where somebody, some people need to be held accountable for their actions. So we need to make sure that all those things are done. So we will do that on Dale Empathy as well, um, uplift these triple digit deaths. We're going to have this grieving tree on display, and we're really going to have a moment to um, let our, our entire elected official body know that we have some problems in our prisons. We need them to stand up and, and, and oversee our DOC. And again, we're not going away because that's normally what they assume. Oh, they're here today, but you know, tomorrow we can go back to business as usual. No, every single day we're going to be advocating and on day of empathy, we're going to come together to do it, but we're not going to stop our advocacy around these issues of Missouri Department of Corrections. So thank you for letting me, you know, add all that into. Oh, no, no, it's fine. This is your interview. And I, I just appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to come on and, and do this interview with me. So no, it's 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 an honor to be able to, to hear you speak about the event. And I, I pray that as our listeners are, are listening in, you know, sometimes people don't get involved in the issues with prison and the things that are going on unless they have a loved one who is in prison or even some of the people who do have a loved one in prison, they don't get involved until something has happened to their loved one or their significant other or whatever the case may be. When these issues that are going on in prison need to be the concern of everyone because these individuals are coming out of prison, entering back into society, they're, gonna go to, they're either going to be productive citizens or they're not which means we're going to be impacted by that when they come out. And so I'm asking our listeners to get more involved, to go to these events, support events like what Ms. Smith is doing. Support these events, go out and help and be a part. Try to be an answer to the problem because it is so much going on within the Missouri Department of Corrections that it is unreal. I get calls on a weekly basis about the way these inmates are being treated, unfairly put in uh, a solitary confinement for no reasons, held in there for months and months on end, okay? We are now having staffing problems in DOC again. They're now going back on lockdowns. They're now losing access and to be able to participate in programs and things as such, because once again, the Missouri Department of Corrections is now having staffing issues again. And I really don't think the staffing issues ever really got a whole lot better, maybe a tiny bit better, but not a whole lot better to the fact that we're still having problems. Uh, I can think of um, a lot of the problems I'm hearing are coming out of that South Central Correctional Facility in Licking, Missouri. I get calls about that prison all the time, more so than I get in any other prison. And, and these are things that we have to look at. These are things that the legislators need to look at, DOC officials need to look at. And if I'm not mistaken, Ms. Smith, isn't South Central Correctional Facility in Licking the prison that had the highest number of deaths in the state of Missouri? Am I correct? Um, you know, interestingly enough, it was not, but but I can explain why. So the prison in um it's called Crossroads. It, it's in Cameron, Missouri. Okay. And it had the highest number of deaths. And the reason why is there are two prisons there. One is uh called Crossroads, and I believe like across the street, it was called Western Missouri Correctional Center. Well, what happened was um they combined those two populations. 
because one of the prisons had some like structural issues that happened before. So it was two prisons where they actually combined the population into one prison. And technically, those two prisons comprised the most deaths. This past year was 21. But but right now, since they combined everyone into one prison in Crossroads, they're listing it as just at one facility. So Crossroads has had 21 deaths in, in 2023. Uh, but yes, licking is definitely up there. It's number two, right? I believe the number was 17. And when we're they saying 17... Deaths in January, I mean, in December. That's, that's yeah. where I missed it. Thank you for standing to correct me. Mm -hmm. It was in December they had multiple deaths there in yeah. South Central. Yes, that is very true. Um, a man actually from from Kansas City, uh, Michael Hudson, um, was killed December fifteenth in Licking. Um, this is a black man from Kansas City, and apparently the his death was uh, the result of a knife attack from several other incarcerated people. But when we talk about the staffing, et cetera, no one stopped this, this situation. He was assaulted and stabbed over, uh, I'm told, seven to 10 minutes, and no officers came in to stop it. And this was not in some corner where there was no cameras. This was in the main housing unit, like the, um, they call it a day room. So basically like the large uh, area where a lot of people, um, you know, um, uh, come to, to cook or watch TV or whatever. So this was in an open Several, several people attacked Mr. Hudson over several minutes, stabbed him, you know, and, and killed him. And no officers came in to stop it. And you have to ask yourself why. And so, again, that is another issue with the staffing um, and all of the issues combined within our prison. So the prison in, in Licking, Missouri, definitely has many issues. And we are looking for people that live in that community to come to their empathy to talk to the elected officials of that area, right? Um, not 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 everyone may have a loved one inside, but guess what? Everybody pay taxes. You're paying taxes to DOC. You're paying your taxes to your elected officials paying that salary. So you have a say in these things. And when those people come out of prison, because again, over 90% of people do have an outdate, when they come home from prison, they're more traumatized, they're more mentally unstable, um, and a lot of times have issues you know, uh, uh, re-entering positively into society. So they commit more crimes, go back to prison. Recidivism is very high. So we need to make sure that what's happening in those institutions is humane, right? I mean, it, it should be a humane place where people are going to be rehabilitated. And that is not happening right now. So yes, we do need to address licking and all of the other prisons in Missouri that are failing to meet those standards of rehabilitation that DOC put, put forth. Well, I tell you what, Michelle, we're getting down to the end of our interview. I want you to take the last couple of minutes, recap the event, give the information on your organization, contact information uh, for our listeners as we get ready to go out. Well, thank you so much again for this time. Um, and I will say first, the website of the organization is www.mojustice.org. That's M-O-J-U-S-T-I-C-E.org. And I made it simple for everywhere, social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, everything is mojustice.org. So if you re remember that Mo Justice Org, you will find the organization. Um, the Day of Empathy, the Legislative Advocacy Day is on the website and also on social media. 
Um, and so you can go and and uh, fill out a little registration form. I think it asks you for your name, your email, your zip code, and also if you need help with transportation. So those few items you have to fill out, and we will keep you know in contact with everybody. But the the advocacy day day of empathy will be March the sixth, which is on a Wednesday, uh, from approximately ten to four, and we will gather at the state capitol. And we also will have some training before then to help people you know to, uh, uh, create their narrative and how they speak about the issues because sometimes people get nervous around our elected officials etc which i understand so we'll have some online training before then as well so um again it's mo justice or the website the social media um their empathy will be on the the uh, 6th of march and please go and register and i truly appreciate your time today latara well thank you so much for coming on everyone I want to thank you for tuning in to KKFI 90.1 FM, taking your time to spend with myself and Miss Michelle Smith of the Missouri, Missouri Justice Coalition. And we look forward to you all coming out and supporting this wonderful event, this Legislative Advocacy Day of Empathy. Everyone, thank you for tuning in and you have a blessed day. Hello, America. It's me again, Falooch Bigsby the author of God Uses Gangsters. Well, listen up. We got some good news for uh, all the listeners. I'm going to be transferred to a new prison. It's going to be an RTU uh, programming so I can do the programs to get out of prison, basically. And uh, with this transfer, a lot of good things are going to be happening. So I just want to say if you keep the faith and get through all the hard times, sometimes a little light shines through. So uh, this will be my new address. Falooch Bigsby, B-I-G-S-B-Y. My number is 529-169, and you can write me at Madison Prison, 1851 State Route 56, London, Ohio, 43140. That is uh, basically, I will be leaving tomorrow, so I'll be there if anybody sends me any uh, letters or anything. And I wanted to say that if anybody sends me a uh, phone number or whatever, I will call you on my dime. I'll pay for the call. And I'm open to discuss anything. Now, I want to say I had gotten a, a letter today, and I wanted to uh, speak on that. So there was a part in my book where I talked about my childhood, and uh, I referred to the first time I ever saw somebody getting murdered. It was in my living room, and... Uh, I didn't actually say who it was in the book, and somebody asked me who it was. Well, when I originally wrote my book, uh, my mother was still alive, and she had recently passed away during the COVID era. So it was my mom that shot the guy in our living room, and it was because she just had a belief that that's what happens whenever somebody's accused of being a child molester. Now, I no longer have those same feelings. I do not believe that. And it was a traumatic experience. So with that being said, I just want you to understand, even if we are raised to believe something, we have something deep down inside of us where we know what the right thing is. So we as people should start looking within and understand that we're all people and we're all God's children. And with that, I just want you to know I love you guys, and hopefully we can move forward in America. We have a presidential election coming up. Maybe we'll get some good candidates this time, and maybe we'll be able to pick not the lesser of two evils, but an actual good person. 
if God's willing. God bless. This is Fluch Bigsby for a Royal Nation. Have a good night. These commentaries are recorded by Prison Radio. We hope you enjoyed today's show and that we leave you with something to think about, something to talk to your neighbors about, and a reason to get involved. As always, the opinions expressed are those of the hosts and guests of Jaws of Justice Radio, not necessarily of KKFI, the Midcoast Radio Project Incorporated, its staff, or volunteers. You can find our calendar of events and a link to our show episodes and podcasts under the News and Public Affairs tab on the KKFI website, kkfi.org. If you have a show idea or want to volunteer to produce the show, please click on the contact link at the top of the KKFI webpage. Tune in for the rest of the 9 a.m. weekday lineup with Arts Magazine on Tuesday, Artspeak Radio on Wednesday, Cowtown Conversations on Thursday, and Between the Lines at 9 a.m., followed by Understanding Israel-Palestine at 9.30 on Fridays. Up next this morning is Dr. Mike's Morning Medicine Show, followed at noon by the 45 Hive with Clinton Martins. Stick around for the Jazz Canadian at 2 p.m. and Blues with Mother's Mix at 4 p.m. You can go back to Information Radio with Eco Radio KC at 6 p.m., followed by Law and Disorder at 7 p.m. Then round out your day south of the border with Fiesta Musicale at 8 and Noche Magica at 10 p.m. Please keep your dial on 90.1 FM, home of Kansas City Community Radio. Voices is a production of 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. It is our way of letting the voices of our neighbors be heard. Any opinions and views expressed are those of the speakers only and not necessarily those of Mid Coast Radio Project, KKFI, board, staff, or volunteers. Hello, this is Lucy Bloom, Executive Director of Veronica's Voice. Veronica's Voice was founded right here in Kansas City in 2000 by Christy Childs, who during her escape from commercial sexual exploitation, paved a way for her sisters to come along behind her. The mission of Veronica's Voice is to empower women to exit from, prevent the entry into, and to end all demand for commercial sexual exploitation in America through survivor leadership. We accomplish our goals by providing survivors the sanctuary and support needed for deep healing through our residential program, by providing job skill training through our social enterprise, and through advocacy efforts to challenge and change systems in which women and children are bought and sold. In the words of one of our residents, Veronica's voice means you now have the unconditional love and a family you've never had before, and sisters that love you even when you don't love yourself. 
Christie's original dream was to provide housing and jobs where the women would have the support needed to continue their recovery journey. As we continue to grow our social enterprise, we'll be hiring graduates and current residents to run the business. The support of KKFI and community of Kansas City make this dream possible. You can learn more at veronicasvoice.org. This has been Lucy Bloom for Community Voices on KKFI Community Radio.